We are celebrating a whole year of the How To Be 60 podcast with the Queen of the Ballroom, Shirley Ballas. She has won just about every dance trophy going, but there is a rival for her affection. The best year of life when I gave birth to my son in 1986. So I would say that was just the most rewarding, beautiful moment to have this child in my life and has been ever since. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. So, Hip Hip Parade, welcome to the first anniversary episode of the How To Be 60 podcast with me, Kay Adams, and her, Karen McKenzie. Wow, first anniversary. Yeah, first anniversary. So there's hope that there might be another one. Hang on, listen, listen, listen. What is that? Listen. A clue what that is. It's oh, loud. Say, Karen. Is it? That was the big moment as Barry Manilow. We made it. What's it? You do everything. I mean, I'm trying to add a bit of production. <laughs> it was loud. It was. It wasn't even a. That was. That was a disaster. I thought it was intervening, so I just ignored it. <laughs> and then when you told me to shut up, which is kind of far for the course during every episode. <laughs> Oh, that is so funny. Well, anyway, I'm still in a good mood. I'm still in some hereditary <laughs> mood. I actually looked up last night how to celebrate a significant milestone. This is what came up, Barry Manilow. <laughs> it said planning. It said planning. So I put on the eating last night. It's been going for a full 16 hours. Are you pleased? Do you know what? I actually felt sad. I still got my slippers on. Yeah. But um, I did actually feel warm. Yeah. But I then did walk quite a lot, very fast to get here. But yeah, yeah, it's pleasantly Thank warm. Thank you. I'm still not, I've not got my hot work bottle today. Good. I've, I've got my, and I'll just zip my It's warm. I hooped. Yes. I painted the wall. I went to Marks and Spencer's yesterday. Wait till I show you this. Hang on. I went to Marks and Spencer's and I bought a Victoria sponge sandwich. Look, no expense space. No, I know. I know. What's happened to spending two hours on a Thursday afternoon or whatever um, cooking and baking? No, that's lovely. So it's going away. Jesus. Are we having a bit of that later? going to eat it. Are you taking it back? Well, there's an idea. <laughs> you know, why Marks and Spencer's? Why Marks and Spencer's? Now, I'm glad you said that. You're finally catching on. She's woken up. Well, because I thought it was really fitting today. Well, it's our anniversary podcast, but also because very excited that our anniversary guest is Shirley Ballas. Yes. And Shirley and I, of course, knew each other from the Tower Ballroom in Blackpool. <laughs> yes, going back many a year. I was a cloakroom attendant. I was going to say, did you ever meet Blackpool <laughs> on any occasion? <laughs> I used to go with my mum and dad to see the illuminations, funny enough. Um, no, but I did read, and she'll she'll hopefully confirm this when we speak to her, that her idea of a big treat back in the day with her mum was going to March and Spencer's. For food, I wonder, was that for food or for clothes? Or for... Well, it really took me back too, because like nice. my Auntie Margaret was the only one in the family who went to Marks and Spencer's for her food. That's posh. And, and it was so It posh. is posh. And so I went to hers on a Sunday and she got Madeira cake and she put on, it felt like half an inch of butter on top of every slice of Madeira cake. Yes, your teeth. Could you remember? Thinking to, yes. Actually, no, I didn't know you put butter on Madeira cake. You're not but... supposed to. No, but Auntie no. Margaret did. Yes. <laughs> God. Do you know that, sorry, you finished that. The funny thing is, for I used to always, um, Mark's Spencer's was a treat for us as well when the kids were young. And I always cooked from scratch. That was something that was presbyterian drummed into me. And But as a treat, 
I would always get a chicken and mushroom and leek pie for me and the kids. Was that the treat? That was a treat. And if I felt very extravagant, I would get a lemon tart. You know those ones that you bite? But oh, yeah, kids probably didn't like that. So that was probably, yay. Yes, yes, yes. So it was, it was a real treat. But I remember thinking, God, who are these people that shot Max? I was a ferocious thing. And my was a Spencer's. And there you go. Um, so hopefully Shirley will remember that. Um, so and I hope I'm going to get a bit sorry of the cake. No, you can't because my leg's still dodgy. I haven't walked the length of myself for three weeks, and and I'm really worried about it. Pull it. No, no, it's getting better now, but so I can't eat cake. And I'm you've just been more for in this class, so you can't eat cake either. I put on weight as well in the last week. Do you know what's funny? Like I remember I said to you before, I always when I was a teenager, I said when I was fifty, I was going to shoot myself. Ah. Uh-huh. Well, when I was being less pessimistic, I thought, right, if I do make it past 50, I'm just going to sit there and eat cake all day. But now I am this age, I just want to stay alive, so I don't eat much cake. <laughs> but that doesn't mean to say that I can't have a bit. No, well, we'll see how, we'll see how you do. Do you know what? I actually don't think you're going to open it. I'm going to have to prize a bloody cake. <laughs> well, see when you put the see when you put the idea in my head that I could take it back. <laughs> I don't see the I don't think the teeth would break. No, no, it's quite expensive. I'll say I didn't really like it. So have you have you enjoyed this year? Because to a certain extent, although this was all about whether I would retire, you've kind of come out of retirement to do this. Yeah. Have, have I enjoyed it? Let me just think. Oh god, you think? Uh, yeah. I, I didn't know what to expect. I suppose I thought three months and then you'd say in your usual style. It's not really working, and you'd carry on doing it on your own. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I was thinking about right cow. Yeah. <laughs> well, not a cow, but you're quite controlling. Okay, I'm still in a good mood. It's fine. I mean, Christ, this could be the last one. Interestingly, you said first anniversary or whatever at the beginning. So, I mean, yeah, every week is like you're not. What's the phrase? You're never as good as your last whatever. Honest to God, I have no. I have no um, expectations about me lasting any more than this this episode. And you keep asking me, have I learned anything about being six? Have you? Well, but you keep asking, have you learned anything? About being 60 or, or doing in the last... Speaking to all the people that were spoken to. Yeah, do you know what? I wouldn't have gone on HRT had we not done this podcast. Really? So I wouldn't, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, there's bound to be other things. I've learned a lot about you. Didn't yeah, know before. All good. Yeah, move on, move on. Right, as it is our first birthday, shall we have some backslapping, self-congratulatory messages? I read one out last week with Jeffy Smith saying that I was a self-obsessed bore. So I think I've done my bit. I'm going to go back to the good stuff. Um, this is from Bright Eyes Seventy Nine. Right. Uh, it says just. Oh, that makes all sorts of things a watership down. That old yeah, That was. Anyway, just two real friends having a laugh with guests. It's also a real conversation, too, with a brilliant insight into people's lives. As a 50-year-old, it's helped me look forward to my 60s. Oh, this thing would have said two real friends. And the next one is from Big Bad Bollocks. <laughs> that is the name. That is the name. So we've got Bright Eyes 79 and Big Bad Bollocks. Do you think we're beginning to attract the wrong kind of crowd? It's <laughs> after Tracy Cox, you know, it never it went in a different direction after that. <laughs> uh, bid bad, bid bad, 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 bad. How do you say that again? I say like big old fluster. It's got me. It was bollocks words. Do you know what? As well, I've got excited. A bit of makeup on today. Is that starting? Balance. Christ's sake! You don't turn up for Shirley Balance looking like a bag of spanners, do you? Yeah. 
Oh, that's a mean effort. Thank you. No, don't don't embarrass me. Don't embarrass me, please, please. She remembers me from the ballroom at the Blackpool uh, ballroom as a cloakroom attendant. Don't embarrass me. Um, so a lot of love for the Elaine C. Smith podcast. Yes. Big Bad Bollock says, I was a massive Rab C fan back in the day. Can't miss an episode of Two Doors Down. So it was great to hear Elaine C. being interviewed, her take on life and her way of talking. So funny, it made me laugh out loud. Um, and Julia uh, Harm says, brilliant show with Elaine C. Smith. So thought-provoking. Um, and very kindly says, as is your podcast in general, absolutely loving it. Keep going. Oh, it's man. brilliant. Do you know, I was really thinking, I mean, we are recording this podcast just a few days after uh, the news of Paul the Great. Oh, I'm so sad. And uh, yeah, it, it's strange how things happen in life, isn't it? Because Elaine is going to play at uh, Miss Hannigan and Annie. Oh Paul was playing in Edinburgh. Uh-huh. He was Miss Hannigan in Edinburgh just last week, and and Elaine in the podcast. I mean, I edited it out in the end because it was a bit of a naughty story. But was talking about Paul. She was talking about Paul so fondly, and he's not here. It is hard. I, 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 I suppose, yeah. I don't think I processed it yet because I, I was away and I I read it when I was on holiday, and I just thought I don't know. It just struck me as he's sixty seven. Well, he's gone. It's sudden. We have a podcast called How to Be 60, and Paul 67 was 67. It, it does kind of make you think about, you know, you keep telling me this is the time, do what you want, well, get on with your life, and my God. God. I know, and I've just been away on holiday, and I feel embarrassed that I was on holiday not so long ago, and now I've got another holiday, and then I just think, fuck it. I am sorry, I'm not, I'm not apologising to anyone. This is my life, and I'm going to do what I want. Doesn't harm anyone else. And they do it and get on with it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, but just quickly, Elaine C. Smith. When we were recording that live podcast, we had two hundred and seventy there. It was a sellout. Thank you very much to everyone who came along. You are cool as a cucumber, and I was sweating buckets. I thought Elaine wasn't going to turn up. I thought Shirley wasn't going to turn up. I always think everyone's not going to turn up. I always negative. Think... And at one, am I? No, you're probably not negative. I'm worried. What? Just worried. But why do you think the worst of people? It's not that I think the worst of people. I just think the worst is going to happen. Catastrophizing. Yeah, yeah. What is the worst that could have happened? It, I mean, people riot and they want their money back because it's so shit. Hang on. How, I would like to know how many people out there, audience, actually knew that Elaine C was going to be there. They are actually coming to see you. And, no, 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 it's true. And actually, they they can, and I think we know from some of the emails that, you know, we're talking shite and people seem to enjoy it. So... Uh, no, I, I mean, oh, maybe at the end of the day, it's your fucking gig. It's your name is on it. It's nothing to do with me. It's my name over the door. It's my name over the door. Okay. Um, you must have a frustrated performer in you. That's all I can say because hey. you were so cool. I just I just couldn't believe it. It was incredible. Anyway, do you think it's time to talk to Shirley and see if she remembers me from the Tower Ballroom? If she'll remember you. <laughs> Let me just think. Bring it on. <laughs> Morning, Shirley. Morning, Kay. Karen, <laughs> how are you? We're very well. I take it you don't remember me from the cloakroom at the Tower Ballroom. <laughs> don't remember you from the cloakroom, but I do remember some beautiful dances that you offered at the beginning of the Strictly Run. And oh, I was quite captivated because I think I was one of the few that really understood you'd done no dancing before. So I really took that to heart, how much effort. I knew you were nervous, but I took it really to heart. And I thought, okay, let's see what she could do. And I thought you did marvellously well. Marvellous. Uh, you're kind, That's you're nice. kind. 
But I think um, just even listening to both of you talk a minute ago when you were saying about anxiety about your guests not turning up. So just off that little brief conversation that you've both had, I realize that you're full of anxiety. You worry a lot. Mm. I'm a little bit like that Um, in other issues, not so much in the dancing. My son's a little bit like that. I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are anxious. And perhaps you also didn't give yourself a fair shot. I thought you did remarkable. And if I didn't, I would use one of the words that you used this morning and say, well, that was shit, but you <laughs> you did absolutely marvelously. And I think that you really flew the banner for women 60, you know, anywhere actually from over 50. Dancing can just begin at the age of 60. I've got people who are just starting up, but just came back from five weeks in the United States. And some of the ladies were well into their 70s and they were the, some of the most fun lessons that I had taught. They loved it. They came, They were retired. They came in. Four or five times a week, they were doing ambitious things that they wanted to do as a child that they suddenly decided to do. Massive age group from 50 on up. It was absolutely remarkable. I loved it. It's funny you should say that. I was hosting a charity event at the weekend and it was all women. There was, I think, 580 women there. And, uh, you know, so they did all the speeches and all the stuff. And then they had a DJ and everyone was up on the floor. Uh, not me, I have to say. But, you know, the music came on. It was all 80s classics, you know, real mm-hmm. bangers. Mm-hmm. And all of these women, you know, there's no blokes there, all ages, they just ran for the floor. They just ran for the floor. And they weren't being judged because nobody was looking for a man. You know, it was purely joy. Yeah. And, you know, I yes. sat there in my chair and I thought, yeah, this is it, you know, as a woman, up to a certain age, you're going to be judged on your looks and is it, do I look good? Do I look pretty? Is anyone going to fancy me? But these women just wanted to feel the music, to move to the music, yeah, to feel the joy. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so many iconic tunes, isn't there, that we've grown up with. Yeah. You go to a wedding or any form party, you hear that music, it's instilled in your library. And if you've had a gin and tonic, who cares? You're up on the table. That's <laughs> Particularly my mother at 84. You know, <laughs> she lives with me, my mother, and she loves, you know, she grew up in nightlife. You know, she was a barmaid and she did other work like that. So she just loved every minute of it. And if a good tune gets up, she's the first one on the karaoke, clear a room in 10 seconds flat. And she just loves to have a good jig and a little dance. We still do it now around the kitchen if we have the music on and it's going. She's got a radio blasting. She's 80, she'll be 86 this year. That's brilliant. So is there a different feeling for you when you are dancing and like being either judged, I don't suppose you're judged anymore, but you you know, you're dancing, you know, people are go there, Shirley Ballas dancing and dancing round your kitchen just to, I don't know, ABBA. Well, in your kitchen, it's just you or or your boyfriend or my mother, you know, locked down with Danny was a lot of fun. Rise and shine with Shirley B. I love having a little dance with me and I love it that she lives with me. Um, But still to this day, the judging goes on, you know, even though I'm a retired competitor, I'm judged for everything that I do, every single thing, how I walk, how I sit, how I, if I stand up, I'm too jovial. If I sit down, I'm too boring. If I critique this, I I don't like women. I don't like men. I don't like young ladies. I don't like young men. It doesn't matter. There's always that 20% that are just there ready to sit and criticize you. You know, and I've often said to men who think that they're being funny with their jokes, you know, um, I don't need you to have a joke or critique me. I'm, I can do that myself. I'm very self-critical of myself. I've, I've been like that all my life. 
never ever thinking anything in myself is good enough, you know. So and I just keep plodding on and plowing on and bury myself in my work. My work is my safe place because I know what I'm doing in that. So irregardless of people say, get her off the panel. She doesn't know what she's talking about. It's had 55 years of experience, you know. So and I and that point I'm not so worried about. It's when the critique in the looks, you know, like people don't like your teeth, they don't like your nose, they don't like you anything. They, you're too old, you you're this, you're back, you're whatever. So I constantly still get that, you know what I'm saying? So in and out of Strictly, by the way, not yeah. just that, but generally I'm in one of those industries where people are always criticizing somebody else, always gossiping, always got something bad to say. If you're doing something well, no one says anything. If your world falls apart and something's going amiss, everybody wants to talk about it. But I suppose when you think about it, when did you start dancing competitively? Seven. So you have been judged, you know, as a female, all of your life. All of my life I've been judged. But if I go before even starting dancing, when my mother did a birthday party for me, I was about five, we had a singing competition and my mother was the judge and she picked my friend to win, Susan Barrell, who I'm still good friends with to this very day. She picked her as the winner. I sulked, I cried, I had this tantrum, blah, yeah. blah, blah. My mother said I was always always wanted to win and I always wanted to do my best. And if I was in grade three in the school, I wanted to move up to grade four. And if I did, I wanted to be the very, very best. It was just instinctual. So again, when I started to compete and then I was being judged, I was even more hard on myself. So what kind of world was it as a young woman then, the dance world by then? Well, for me, it was the most amazing world. Of course, I went through many ups and downs, changing partners, changing studios for one reason or another. But I have to say, Obviously, I know a lot more now than I knew when I was seven through 16. And I loved every minute of it. I loved the rise to fame. There was lots of cattiness and bitchiness. You grow up surrounded by that. So it's the norm for you. It was the norm for me to be grown up in in an industry where people were very, very critical. Other mums, if you beat their daughters, I remember one mother saying to me, oh, see that girl over there that's got, there was a poor lovely lady. I won't mention name, I still remember but she had that terrible skin, you know, and this other mother came to me and said, that's what you look like. Because I had also spots all down my face. You're going to end up with a creative face. And and then other people would say, you know, she's fat. I wasn't fat. I've seen pictures of myself, but I was this or I was that, or I only had a one parent, you know, I, I didn't have the fortunate um, two parents driving me and driving me there. I caught the bus everywhere. You know, so it, it was always critical. I was aware of it, but kind of, you're a child, so you don't really get too much into it. It's only when I look back now, and I think, yeah, right from a child, there was other parents and people that were mean. They were mean, just mean. How did you protect yourself from that? Well, it was a little bit sink or swim. My mother was busy. She couldn't come with me to, for a good part of my career, it was if you do this, you'll have, we'll have to find the bus route. We'll have to find the train route. Obviously, back then, it felt more safe. Um, if you want to do it, you're going to have to find your own way there, basically. And you're going to have to deal with what comes along with it. So although I could talk to her about things, she would just say, this is what it is. This is life. You're going to learn to deal with it. My mother was no holds barred back. She was not that mother. Oh, little girl. Oh, little Shirley. Oh, my little cherub. Never. Still not to this day. Straight as an arrow calls it as it is, sink or swim, get on with it. So we called it like swimming upstream. I referenced that in my autobiography. And uh, that's how it felt, swimming upstream. And 
you know, finding different ways to get where I needed to go, so to speak, in the industry. Did you not have anyone that you could lean on? There was a few couples that uh, would felt sorry for me, I think, and thought, oh, we can't watch this little girl get two trains and a bus home from a competition in Wales or Birmingham. Let's drive her home. But no, I think I put a tough shell around. I remember being the first year on Strictly and they said, you know, you're going to have to let those walls go because the public will never water you. Because all my life I just put walls up. I don't have many friends, really. I don't, a handful, that I can call friends, lots of acquaintances. And, and you build barriers and you build walls. And when you love something as much as I did, I didn't really care what came along with it. I just wanted to move my body to music. I wanted to dance. So I took whatever came with it. Have those walls then helped protect you from all the criticism that you get when, as a judge on Strictly, you know, now? Well, after the first year, you know, and talking to my son too, because I said, you know, what did you think when you watched me, Mark, on TV? He said, well, I actually jumped back and I'm like, oh, oh, that's a little bit hard. He said, these people put their shoes on for three months. This is not the British Open to the World Latin American Championships, mother. You can still give a good, honest critique it's just the way you do it. So if I was talking to you and I went, what on earth is that K? Which is what you would probably do if you were trying to be a world champion here. You know, rather than what was that K now? So it's not what you say, but how you say it. So I think over the years I've developed that as a skill and let down the walls. And I think because I let down the walls and I let the people in, then the criticism was a little bit more difficult to take. I think I'm talking also about the, the social media and the criticism that you get from that well the social media last year was second to none i mean i uh, it was pretty tough i had to say it did i remember meeting work one day and reposting something that somebody had posted just because i was so furious with all the horrible messages i was getting i reposted it and then this gentleman got trolled he got in touch with my team in the end him and i ended up speaking on the phone because i didn't want him to suffer if you like and and he said to me i'm so sorry I wrote that, but you sent somebody home that we really loved. And I just got on there and I ranted. I said, well, you were maybe just one rant too many for me. But I don't think people realize what effect that they can have on somebody who checks their social media. I mean, this year, um, I will have somebody else doing my social media and I won't be privy to all that because it really affected me last year. Now, of course, I've just come back from seeing Mark and we had a whole sit down about the whole thing. Do you want to do Strictly again, you know? Uh, what with the downfalls, pitfalls for you, mum? And he was, uh, it makes me emotional. He was absolutely fantastic. And he said, you know, look, everybody gets it, mum. It doesn't matter who you are, at what level you are. If you go on social media, somebody is going to be trolling, uh, uh, sitting on their computer wanting to, it makes their day to make you miserable. He said, so if you want to take Strictly back, these are the rules that I would follow if I was you. So, you know, we sat there for many hours uh, with him and his beautiful wife. And I did feel much better when I came away from it. Because after the Strictly tour, I took a break. I turned down a lot of things that were offered to me uh, for, for for personal reasons. I just wanted to clear my head and see what I want to do. You know, do I want to continue? Don't I want to continue? And and then and my son helps me with that. So I feel in a much, much better place. But now mm. it, stopped. it was just constant. Boom, 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 boom. Sounds to me like you have a very special relationship with your son. I would say, you know, when, when I was pregnant with Mark, I had two ultrasounds and they told me it was a girl. I had a shower for over 100 women back then and it was all pink and pink. It did the whole nursery. He came home in a dress. He was a huge surprise. 
to be a little <laughs> boy. But I have to say, you know, girls, I call my mother two or three times a day when I'm away to the point where she says, Cheryl, everything's okay, love. But I just like to hear her voice. And I have to say that when Mark goes to the grocery store or when he's popping out on an errand or when he's got two minutes, he will call me. And if he's busy doing a recording session or something else, he will put a heart or just put all good mum, chat soon. So what age were you when Mark was born? 25. So you must have been still competing. It was competing. a huge surprise. I was actually on the pill at the time. So he, I was in the middle of my career and tried to rebuild, you know, after winning in 83 and going back to the first round in 84 with a new partner. And did your mum go along with you or did you manage all that yourself? Uh, no, my mum moved in when we had a bad experience with a maid that was taking care of Mark when he was 18 months old. And my mum's, I said to my mum, I'm going to retire from dancing. And she said, if you pay me what I'm being paid in Cadbury's, because she worked in a chocolate <laughs> on the cakes at that time, uh, she said, I'll come and uh, help you with Mark. And he never had another babysitter from 18 months till 21 when he moved back to the United States. Do you ever think that you, I was thinking this as I was hoovering this morning for Karen. Um, <laughs> do you ever think that you missed out on that homemakey part of life that a lot of women you know, love. I, I don't actually. My mum wasn't domestic. I'm not domestic. I've got no desire to be domestic. But for a lot of women, yeah, I like, you like being a homemaker. Yeah, don't I do. You? Yeah, I do. I work full time, which in hindsight, I wouldn't do again. You know, it'd be ideal to do maybe three days a week or whatever. So I did work full time. But I, yeah, I missed out on a lot. And I, I think I'm meeting up for it as soon as um, I could. Yeah, my, my, I, I love baking. I love cooking. I love Guarding. I just love being around the house and being home and being there for the kids. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, I mean, I'm just looking now at this little picture of him here. I don't know whether you can see that. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. You know, I missed out on all things like that that my mother did. And I have to say, as I got older, I, I worried about what he thought. We had long conversations because I wasn't I wasn't there when he had chicken pox. I, you know, my brother and my mother took care of him, like I said, for the first 11 years. I flitted in and out. Uh, and I had a counsellor who told me, when you come back into his life, pick up exactly where you left off. No extra gifts. Don't make it like it's the norm. That's what that's what the normal was. But it never felt quite normal. But he's turned out a rounded boy, a good boy, a kind boy. Loved, you know, when he played Frankie Valley on Jersey Boys. I loved it when I went to see it 43 times, by the way. Flew every, <laughs> flew every week after Strictly to see him on it. And Did they, you? Yeah, they told me when I walked in, they said, forget his talent. This boy knows everybody's name. He's got time for everybody from the door to the people that are, you know, working in the theatre. And that said it all to, to to me. I thought, well, that's a good job done. Yeah, that is incredible. Kindness, you know, keeping level-headed, keep your feet on the ground. You know what my mother always reminding, you know, there's the trash and we are domesticated, my mother and I. Um, I would say not a mark. We see a little tiny thing on the floor. I'm always there with a the swiffer mark going around. Just done it before I spoke to you. You know, very, very hands-on. Beds made. Would never go out even if I was running a few minutes late without making my bed and cleaning my bathroom. And it's absolutely, you know. Agreed. Both of us. So d does this does this all come from your mum? I mean, your dad wasn't around much when you were a kid, was he? wasn't around at all, but uh, he sadly passed uh, last year or the year before. But my mother, for sure, we lived in a little flat. I still remember it, 16 Cameron Road. It had Marley <laughs> tiles. She polished those Marley tiles. If you walked on that floor with your socks, you broke your neck. I'd be coming home from school. We were second floor. 
that had a little window. She'd be hanging on the outside, cleaning those windows once a week. Not, not a fingerprint, not a mark. She's always there, apron on, ready. She just can't handle marks or ironing and washing done every single day. It's part of her regime. I put the dirty clothes in in the morning, the wash denied and airing in my room at night, ready to be put away. And a me, have you put your washing away, Shirley? You have to put, put you know, we're, we're just orderly. We, we can't stand disorder. God. Do you know, I have a bit of a theory on that with that generation of women who were so scrupulous about cleaning, is that these are mentally capable women who wanted to excel in life. But actually, the opportunities to excel weren't that great because the world of work wasn't really open to to women at that time. But they wanted to be great at something. And the thing that you can be great at was to have a fabulous house. I think I think my mother had that built in naturally. She didn't realise it because I think she's a natural born performer. I do TikToks with her now and she's really getting into it. But I remember when she did the cakes at Cabri's and it was mundane, you know, putting the cakes in the box. She just did not like that job. She prepared to be a, a barmaid. But she got she qualified to be a forklift truck driver. I she read that. Got a couple of pounds more a week by doing that and stacking boxes. And she passed she passed her driving test when she was in her 40s so that she could get marked from A to B. This is a woman that doesn't realize that she is good at many other things. You know, she is, she is a self-driven woman. I see that in her. You know, I was thinking, you know, obviously your mum is immensely capable and she brought you up kind of on your on her own, didn't she? She certainly did. But you married quite young and you were engaged really young, weren't you? What age were you, 17 or something? My first engagement was 16 to Nigel Tiffany, who I fell in love with at 15. And we got engaged at 16, moved to London when we were 17. I was 17, he was four years older than me. Why do you think you wanted to be in a relationship so young, given that you'd been brought up by your mum on your own? Because, you know, and everybody knows out there, the kids fall in love. You know, you're 15, you're 16, you think this is it. You've met the man of your life. Our engagement party was in a pub. It was fantastic. Still got the engagement ring. My mother wears it. I just felt I was in love. We danced together. I lived with him and his family in Shipley in Yorkshire. And he was a person that gave you security and love. He was the British Boreham champion. I was a nobody, you know. I, I went into dancing with somebody that was already had all the stars and stripes. He was he's a remarkable, remarkable man. But I mean, to go to London when you're 17, that's so young and so mature. It, it was tough. I lived in the Nest restaurant. Um, uh, I lived above the Nest restaurant in my our first flat. And I had to get myself a job down there. I got a job I wasn't uh, qualified for. I was way underqualified, but they felt sorry for me. So I got this job, £60 a week it paid. And uh, we lived in this apartment above the Nest restaurant. It had roaches. The smell from the food was disgusting. But it was opposite the top of the stairs down the studio that was run by Nick Stiliana's night beaver. So I'd sit by my <laughs> window at night watching them all queuing and I could see all the sweat on the windows. I, I'll never forget it. I just wanted to dance. I, I, I didn't. London was bright lights, you know, back then in my day. And I came from the Lisa House Estate. I moved to Shipley, Yorkshire and I knew if you ever wanted to make it as a dancer, you had to be in London. And Nigel came with me and the Bradford and Bingley gave us a, eventually a rent-free apartment in George Street in Croydon. So, you know, um, things started to look up and him and I were planning to get married. And then I got this opportunity to dance with this top 
gentleman in the Latin field called Sammy Stockford. And just the way your life changes, you make choices and they were choices I made. And so, but you, you married Sammy, didn't you? I married Sammy when I was about 19, 18, 19, somewhere around the 20. I thought I was very young, a teenager. Yep, we got married because that's what you did back then, you know. I mean, still, I look back and I think, what do you really know about love? I think every seven years, you know, you you go through this love thing. And Niger, um, Sammy and I, get them all mixed up, Sammy and I had a <laughs> relationship as dancers. They called us eventually the non-stop stopbirds. And, you know, we had this chemistry. We had this just bonding through dance. But I don't really think we had that. Or from my part, I can't speak for Sammy because, you know, I loved him, but not in the way that you would love if you met somebody away from dancing and that wasn't part of it. it we bonded through the love of dance. Mm. And it was suggested, you know, that it, I didn't have a good surname. My teacher didn't think I was Shirley Rich. We were piss poor broke, but my name was Shirley. <laughs> and uh, we, and the non-stop stop that sounded right. So, and just for one thing and another, on the personal level, on the dancing level, you couldn't have found a better partnership. He taught me everything about the industry. An amazing character. I have a lot of respect for Sammy when it comes to the dancing side of things. But I was searching and I... I, I didn't feel as a teenager, once I'd grown up, I was dancing, 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 dancing. Never. I had no teenage life, none at all, none at all. So, and I guess I then met somebody and I thought, this is it. This is love. I don't want to dance anymore. Let me move to the bright lights of America. And realized three months after being there, I wanted to dance. And Sammy wouldn't have me back. So it was sink or swim with Corky. Enter Cor Corky. <laughs> and this is Mark's dad. Mark's dad, and then I trained him from scratch. He was a chef. I trained him from scratch. Everybody said, you made your choice, Shirley. You'll be nothing but a wallflower. You will never amount to anything in this dance industry. Forget it. Go home to America, to Texas. This is this is about all you're going to do. And I remember people putting their programs up and laughing at us because he was a beginner. And I persevered and I persevered and I figured out the industry and I trained him and I trained him and I trained him. So eventually, in 1995, we won the British Open to the World Championships and Sammy was second. That's what I say with the criticism. It's been ongoing all my life. You'll never do this. You, you, No, 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 no. Give up, give up, give up, give up. But the love of music and the love of dance, I didn't want to give up. And where there's a will, there's a way. And I figured out a way in this industry to get back in that final by 1990, move back to England with Mark. He was four, five years old. And 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 then it was history. Mm -hmm. yeah. I retired in 1996. But professionally, that was an amazing triumph, and, and you proved everyone wrong. But personally, it wasn't so good, was it? Well, I hung in there for 22 years. There was a, some happy years there, you know. But again, then it became built around dancing, and he was a fanatic corky. I learned a lot from him. He had spirit. It didn't matter how much you tried to put him down. He was like a metal machine. Bullets didn't penetrate. So I think my work ethic and his bulletproof vest that he wore in this industry really worked as a duo so getting back there but I think somewhere along the way with the criticism and the industry the way they made him feel it definitely took a toll you know on both our relationships but we hung in there you know Mark till Mark was 15 and we have a good relationship today it was all it's been a bit bumpy once they got the job on Strictly and he did that right up but we're in a good place now we just spent you know several days in Vegas together as a family and uh yeah, you just, I keep moving along the bus. I'm very forgiving to all people who are, are awful to me. And I have an easy way of forgiving. My mother, not so. My friends, not so. But 
for me, I, I don't agree in holding it because it just drags you down. Mm. Which is it's easier on. to give forgive as you get older. I think I've always been a forgiving person. I think, you know, I struggled a little bit with my dad, but, uh, you know, in the end, we didn't have the kind of chats I would have liked to have had with him, but he was aging then. And, uh, yeah, that part was a little bit difficult, but I have always had that forgiving heart, always. But you have been in battle mode mm -hmm. all your life, Charlotte. It must be exhausting. I think it was it. Yeah. I think I was my own army. I'll get emotional if I talk about that side of my life. But I think in battle mode, in protective mode, in army mode, in, you know, and and, I, and sometimes I wonder what I'm searching for, you know, because I like to stay busy and this and that. And, you know, I loved what you girls said about if I moved to the Marks Suspenses, that's a highlight of my week with my mother. I, I mean, it wasn't as a child. It was as oh, a now. into adulthood. We go for our coffee. We go for our sandwich my little locks of Spencer's blouses and, you know, it used to be Little Woods and Little Woods were a bit cheaper back then than Marks and Spencer's, but my mum would do her best to shop in Marks and Spencer's. And even the food, she'll go, you know, it's fresh when it comes from Marks and Spencer's. It's become a sadding <laughs> joke in the fine, in our family. You know, it's fresh because it's from Marks and Spencer's. Oh yes, we go every week, at least once a week. But I, are you at peace with yourself now? What is at peace? I feel like if you can get through life, of course, life is always full of bumps and waves. I hate to say what somebody say to me, is everything going well? Everything today was good because we don't know what tomorrow will bring and I don't want to hamper on the past. So and tomorrow is promised to nobody. So it's enjoying that moment. And I, as I said to my mother this morning, you know, because I've got other projects coming up this year that I just have to stay busy. I, that's what ticks my boxes. I'm just wondering what you're frightened of, or if you're frightened of not being busy, what's going to come out? Do you um, understand what I mean? I have thought about that. It could be clusters uh, running, you know, from your youth or your childhood, but I've analysed it. It's not. I'm just one of those people who loves it. My mum said, you just love every single minute. And my son, he says, I, I don't get you, mother, you know, because they take chill time. They take chill time. And uh, he's always encouraging me to take that. But he, he says to his friends, she loves what she does. Has done a little girl from seven. I mean, what can you be running uh, from at seven? What are you running from at 15? Nothing. You just love it. And I think I will kick my clubs in this industry. There'll be no sitting at home in an armchair and pipe and slippers. It's not that kind of world for me. Sound like it. So I don't think it's running from anything. anything. I think it's just an industry... I'm privy to, born into, and I will die in. I love it. It's an incredible story. It really is, Shirley. Right, a quick game of Big Six or Bingo. Karen's in charge. Yeah, I'm allowed. Shirley, give us a number between, yeah, one and 60. Seven and 40. Right, seven. Best year of your life? The best year of life when I gave birth to my son. In 1986. So I would say that was just the most rewarding, beautiful moment to have this child in my life and has been ever since. Isn't that funny? Unexpected pregnancy, but the best year. Best year ever. ever. Yeah, that was great. Now, sorry, what was the other number you said? 40. 40. Right. Best childhood memory. Best childhood memory 
was when my mother used to t- it would be a treat and she would take me to the cinema in Liverpool and we'd have a cake in Marks and Spencer's. And also when she taught me how to do a roast dinner and she gave me a cookery book and she taught me all about how to cook a roast dinner on a Sunday so I could prepare the meal. So I think those moments with my mother learning household skills, uh, learning survival skills, learning how to, you know, depend on yourself and nothing in life comes unless you have hard work ethic. Don't ever expect anything to land in your lap. So it was all those life lessons, I would say, from my mother the skills and the tools that she has given me to run my life, really. Mm. Um, Listen, Shirley, thank you so much. Next time I see you, I'm going to bring you that Victoria sponge, okay? We love a Victoria sponge in our house. And don't forget, I've just written a new book that's Murder on the Dance Floor. Kay, you have to read it and let me know what you think about it. Well, well, I believe there's sex scenes in it. And um, I I don't know, I might blush, Shirley. I, my mum just finished it yesterday and I think even my mother was blushing and it takes a lot to make my, blo- my mum blush. <laughs> Wonderful. I think it's probably the best work I've done in a long time. Really? Nice My one. autobiography was great, but I think that I have this vivid imagination and this background that I can call on to give stories, loose stories based on my industry and my life that you will never be able to tell in autobiography with fictitious characters. So it will be guess who the characters are in the book, but the storyline is (laughs) unbelievable. So how were you able to sit down for so long? It's still work. I wrote two books. So this is the first one that's coming up. Lies, intrigue, bed hopping, backstabbing, and and, and ends in murder. Of course, that's never happened in my industry, but it is uh, quite the storyline. Well, we we look forward to it. When does that come out? The 12th of October. The 12th of October, Murder on the Dance Floor. Yeah, I look forward to that. Well, we'll be reading it. Karen loves a sex scene. <laughs> talk. I hope you all don't think it's my sex life when you... It's- or is well, it? Or we is might it? Have, we might have to talk to you again in October, Shirley. That's all I'm saying. I'm ready, Kay. You know anything for you. <laughs> I love you to bits. <laughs> oh, thank you, Shirley. Bye-bye and thank you for your time. To you. So appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, how appropriate that we end on that note, because next week we're joined by Sherry Lever, a.k.a. Mistress Sophia. When I was approaching 60, I signed up for Strictly. When Sherry hit 60, she got strict. She is known as the UK's oldest dominatrix. And dare I say, it's a spanking good listen. <laughs>